GracePod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to GracePod, and we're picking up the story just after the Israelites had built a golden calf and God was very angry. The stone tablets of the covenant were smashed. God threatened that to destroy the people. And then Moses interceded and God said, OK, I won't destroy you, but I won't go with you. So it ended on a terrible low last week. And um, by the end of this section, chapter 33 and 34, it ends on a glorious high. So the, the, ta- the stone tablets that were smashed get replaced and God makes new stone tablets and the relationship is back on. And they're about to build the tabernacle. And it's almost like the golden calf never happened. Like sin abounded, but grace abounded much more. And the question is, what has happened to turn this situation around? How do we get from a a God who couldn't bear to be with his people because they were sinful and stiff-necked to a God who is now pleased, as he originally promised, to dwell with the people? So let's zoom right into the middle of the section. What is it that turns the corner? So there's two big headlines that we're going to hit in this study. One uh, cause for hope is a, a true mediator, um, and the other is the the real um, base layer hope is God's character. Um, and the true mediator in this context is Moses. And there's this lovely um, wistful episode in verses seven to eleven where it kind of jumps out of the chronology and says um, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp and it's it's re- recapping this situation that used to happen uh, where Moses had this um, one-on-one with God he'd go to his tent outside the t- the the people and they would all watch wistfully and think oh look at Moses having having these one-on-ones um, and this tent is weird right because this this isn't the tent I mean it's not the tabernacle tent because they haven't built that yet but it's got the same name. It's called the Tent of Meeting. And God comes there. So a pillar of cloud descends and God speaks to Moses there. So it's very like the tabernacle. It just doesn't have all the gold furnishings and the beautiful embroidery and everything. But it's it, it has the same function as the tabernacle of God meeting with his people, except God is meeting with just one person. Exactly. And I think what's at stake here is, so the Lord has said at the end of um, 32, I'm not going to destroy the people but I won't go with you lest uh, you're destroyed on the way. And I think what's at stake is, will God dwell amongst them as he's promised in the tabernacle? We've had five chapters on the glory of the God dwelling in the tabernacle. Um, and we see that, well, no, he won't do that. But remember, God did dwell in a tiny little tabernacle with Moses and that went well. And that just opens our eyes to a glimmer of hope. Well, maybe if we could kind of ride off the back of Moses's uh, favour with God there'd be hope for the rest do you want to take some <laughs> yeah you teed me up there nicely because this is exactly what happens you've got one man who is God's friend and a whole people who are estranged from God and he basically leverages that isn't the wrong word to use but it's like he says Lord can the relationship that you've got with me count for them as well please may I have a plus one yeah and a plus a lot yeah plus two million plus two million <laughs> Um, and this, I mean, you get partly this just by repetition. So this this phrase of who has got favour with God. So chapter 3, verse 12. So you said to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've also said, I know you by name and you have found favour in my sight. 
Now, therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. And then verse 16, how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? And so it's, Moses starts by saying, we're friends, aren't we, God? You know, you've told, you've told me that we're friends, that I'm favourable to you. And the first stage is, show me how to be more favourable to you. So Moses wants to grow in his own relationship with, with God. In verse 13, show me your ways that I can know you to find favour. But then Moses says, and now can the favour that I've got extend to them? So verse 16, I found favour in your sight, I and your people. Yeah, why is it significant he says your people there? (laughs) Well, there's a whole lot of things going with pronouns here, isn't it? Because um, God says, "I'm I'm pleased with you, singular. And then Moses says, please be friends with us, plural. And so he's, the whole thing is a shift from the relationship that only Moses has to him bringing his friends or his friends, the Israelites that he mediates for with him. Now, I mean, it's really clear where this goes in the New Testament, isn't it? But do you want to show us the, yeah. the fulfillment of this? And, and the your people is significant because of the last chapter, of course, because that, there was that chilling moment when um, God said to Moses, um, your people have done this terrible sin. And we, our hearts sank and we thought, oh, God isn't calling them my people anymore. And now Moses is saying, okay, let's, let's get back on track. Let's, let's put me, them in the category with me so that you can call them your people again. Hmm. And if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up. And everything, it's just, it's a me to us. Yeah. Yeah. And in the New Testament, I mean, you're probably expecting this, but, um, if the, the great joy of being a Christian is um, that we're accepted in the beloved um, when I wake up and I think how does God look on me today then I think oh I have a mediator I have a priest and my pre- my standing before God rests entirely on how good a mediator he is and we have the best possible we have one the Lord Jesus who has um, been raised up to reign uh, God's right hand and is perfectly acceptable to him and so it doesn't particularly yeah, obviously there'll be um, changes in uh, how I experience that nearness often depending on my own uh, sin but my um, objective standing before God is settled um, and we, we sing about this we rejoice in it and this is the basis of our, our walk with God day by day is that we, we stand on the uh, merits of another and it's not quite the same truth as to say that Jesus takes away our sin. They, he does, and I guess in Exodus, the Passover would be the big image of that. Um, he sacrificed that the judgment might pass over us. But this is the other side of the coin, that not only does our sin is laid on Jesus, but his righteousness is counted to us, where his merits count for us. So his favour, to use the language of this chapter, I have found favour in your sight, Father, Jesus might have said. So please, would you go with us, me and my brothers and sisters? Like, like in many things in life, it's um, it's having the right friends. It's um, yeah, if if you've got if you know the right people, you're okay, and that's the the great joy of being a Christian. And this is quite a big trajectory through the Bible, isn't it? That God has a relationship with one man, and then that counts for the people who are with him. So, like Noah. He's a righteous and obedient and builds the ark. And then his family of eight is all saved because of him. And Abraham um, walks with the Lord. And then Lot is saved because of him. And um, and then with Moses and then with, I guess, the kings. When there's a king who's faithful like King David or 
King Hezekiah and um, they pray and then God spares the whole people. So this one person representing everybody else and praying on behalf of us and then gloriously it climaxes in, in the Lord Jesus himself. So we were saying that um, the story arc is that we get the, the marriage gets um, shored up again and the tablets uh, get remade and the two big changes are one, we have a great mediator and the second, do you want to just talk us through what happens next because there's this very strange incident where Moses says in verse 18, show me your glory. Yeah, and this is the episode where Moses wants to see God and he can't because God says, it's not safe, Moses. You can't see my face and live. So God comes up with this plan where Moses will hide in a cave in a cleft of the rock and God will cover the cave with his hand and pass by. And then after he's gone, he'll take away his hand. And at that point, Moses will have missed the dangerous bit because all he can see is God's back. And um, I think it's, um, it's an amazing passage because while Moses is in the cave and in the dark with the hand over it, um, God actually, he doesn't see anything because he's, you know, he sees only darkness, but he hears something and God proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing verse, but I think maybe we take it, or I've certainly taken it out of context. It gets quoted a lot in the Old Testament, this verse, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I think it's it's on Psalm 86, verse 15. It's Psalm 103, verse 8. It's Psalm 145, verse 8. It's Joel 2. It's Jonah chapter 4. It's um, in the book of Numbers. I mean, it's just it's just everywhere. They it, it, It's like the most famous verse of the Old Testament, really. But I think it's it's wonderful to put it into this context. It's like, Moses, why does Moses want to see God's glory now? And it's because he wants to know, will it really be okay with these people? You know, they're, they're sinful and they're stiff-necked, and Lord, I've pleaded with you that the favour that I have with you, you might extend to them, but could it be okay? And I love that. Moses knows the reassurance is going to come from God himself and what he's like. I need to see your glory as as reassurance. I need to know your character to, to, to underline the fact that there's a hope for people who've blown it. And when we read, show me your glory, I wonder what we're expecting God's glory is. Um, and we, you know, we've seen the fireworks on Mount Sinai, and now when Moses is invited in, yeah, I'll show you my glory. And what does he get? He doesn't even see anything. He sees the back of God, but he hears something, and what he hears is a declaration of the Lord's name. This is what Exodus has been all about: Moses revealing who he is, um, and this is God's glory. It's his character. It's the fact that he's um, abounding in love and steadfastness, and yet won't leave the guilty unpunished and and this is the glory of God um, that we see in the Lord Jesus the one who uh, whose character shines forth supremely at the cross this is what John's gospel talks about about um, Jesus glorification where he reveals the God who is um, full of grace and truth and reveals the God who um, will punish sin and is perfectly just and it's it's wonderful that it has those two halves isn't it because there is hope for sinful people, otherwise there'd be no gospel. A God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And you see the relevance of that. I mean, here's a people who've made God angry, but he gets angry slowly. He's got a long fuse and 
they've they've um, done evil but he's merciful and and they've been sinners but he forgives them and you can see this gospel hope but if it just said that you might think this cancels out the warning of the golden calf like oh it's okay because god forgives us but there is huge forgiveness here and yet there's still the warning yet he will by any means clear the guilty so it's a kind of mercy that invites you to cling to it and yet not presume upon it yeah yeah and i love the way the apostle john riffs on this passage and say the Israelites used to look back on this moment as the great um, prophetic commissioning where if any human being has, has come close and seen God as he truly is, it's this moment with Moses. And, um, you know, when Jesus steps onto the scene, a lot of the discussion is, um, yes, I, I see he's making some claims, but he can't be up there with Moses, can he? And John turns it around and he says, what, you, you think Moses saw something pretty great? Well, he did. But Jesus was on the other side of the equation. Jesus was the glory. He was the divine grace and truth that Moses saw. So yes, Moses was front of the queue of all humanity in in seeing this beautiful um, vision of God. And where was Jesus? Oh, Jesus was the one he saw. <laughs> um, and that's um, in uh, John 1 verse 18. Is um, John, John just... No one has ever seen God. Well, actually I'll read from verse 17. Um the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only God at the Father's side has made him known. And actually, I mean, we said the whole of the Old Testament riffs on this passage and the whole of the New Testament. Does. We gave lots of places, couldn't we? So John 1, the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, significantly, Jesus takes Peter, James and John and they see on the mountain Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets i think also representing the two characters who went up mount sinai so moses goes up mount sinai to get the ten commandments moses goes up mount sinai again here in chapter 34 when the covenant's broken to get a, a new start to get a, for god to give new stone tablets um elijah goes up mount sinai in one kings chapter 19 in the hope of a new start when the people have turned away but they, he doesn't get one god says no it's, it's judgment now so Sinai represents that it's the relationship mountain and you go there to start the relationship and you go there to mend the relationship. And then um, Jesus goes, it's not Mount Sinai, but it's another mountain and meets Moses and Elijah. But then they disappear and Jesus left and he's the one now bringing the expression of God's character of grace and mercy and the foundation of the new covenant. Yeah. And, and another place um, would be... Um, we're going to see um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So um, when Moses comes down from the mountain, one of the significant things is that he's got a shiny face. He's, he's glowing. He's radioactive. And um, the um, one of the great um, glorious bits in 2 Corinthians 3 is that we're told that, um, let me read from verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and what's um what paul's celebrating there is that um, the israelites got to experience some small glimmer of god's glory it was reflected off the face of someone else who had seen it and even moses hadn't seen it seen it because he saw the back of god <laughs> and just heard about it 
Um, and Paul is saying that this is the glory of the new covenant, that we are not even front row with Moses. Um, we're actually beyond that. We see, um, behold the glory of the Lord in, in an even clearer way because we've seen Jesus. Um, and also, just as Moses, we, we were discussing in the last podcast about how what you gaze upon, you become like. If you, if you worship a golden calf, you become stiff necked like a calf. Um, if you gaze upon the Lord, you are transformed to be like him. And this is how um, transformation happens in the new covenant. Um, we, we gather under his word. We, we gaze on the Lord Jesus. And as we do it, that transformation takes place. We become like the one we worship. And you get in the New Testament then both God's presence and safety. Because even even when everything's resolved in, I don't say everything's resolved, but even when there's new stone tablets and God's going to go with them and the golden calf is in the past, and it's never quite safe in Exodus 34, is it? So Moses wants to see God's glory. Even he can't see God's face and live. Uh, then Moses goes and meets God and he comes out with a shining face and we read the the people of Israel were afraid to come near him. And, and all the way through um, Exodus, we have had this sort of distance. Moses can go so far and the people can have to be a bit further away. And there's always this danger of God's presence. Um, and in 2 Corinthians, it's called the ministry of death. You know, it's it ultimately, it's not safe to be with God. But to have closeness to God and safety it's just an amazing thing to get to get much closer than was was at all safe in the old covenant even for Moses yeah and I one of the things I what I was puzzling over was what exactly is this glimpse of God's glory is it's a wonderful moment in the Bible what's it doing here in Exodus and I think um, part of the answer to that is that um, imagine Joe Israelite and he's just seen that the tablet shattered and he thinks perhaps the relationship is over and it is and um, you know the marriage contract's just been ripped up in front of him and uh, then just as at the at the first marriage ceremony at Sinai there was a great um, uh, uh, manifestation of God and his his um, awesome power um, what is happening here is is a, a second attempt at that so God is giving that same assurance um, again, so that, that as Moses is given the, the um, restored tablets, they know this relationship is back on track. And just as Moses gets this reassurance uh, by seeing the glimpse, they get a reflected reassurance as they see his reflect his glowing face. So it's a really wonderful moment of reassurance for the people. And just as at Sinai they're given um, the laws, um, they get a recap of some of the most significant laws that God wants to underline. Do you want to mention which ones he does underline? Yeah, well, I think I love that we're going to mention this because there are always the bits of the Bible that you're not quite sure why they're there and you're tempted to skip over them. And we've just talked about the high point of, you know, God's glory in his name and Moses sees him and he's full of mercy and grace. And and then we get these a few little commandments, including you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the, the tricky verse. But why these laws here? And I think one of them is pretty pointed. So chapter 34, verse 17, you shall not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. It's like, Did you hear that metal? Gold is a metal. Golden calves, <laughs> ouch. Just, if I hadn't been specific enough, let's not do that. Um, and then you get the festivals are repeated. So we, we've heard earlier in the book about the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
the feast of ingathering, the feast of um, harvest. And they're all repeated here. And you think of all the things to recap when you're resetting, why recap the festivals? And I think the key to it is that festivals help you remember. And if you forget, that's when you drift. So all the way through Exodus, I mean, they forget very, very quickly. I mean, just, you know, just out of the Red Sea and they start grumbling and think God's against them. Or Moses is just come down from the mountain and they start making a golden calf. But short memories are um, a very dangerous thing in the Bible because um, as we forget what God is like, we turn away from him. And, and these festivals are a way of saying, let the lessons of the Exodus and who God is who has saved you be in your mind always that is the thing that's going to keep you from turning away from him we're, we're not to be camels we're to be grazing cows you can't you can't just have you know three years at seminary and that keeps you going and um, we're to we need regular reminding just like cows graze we need food for every day um, and there's a lovely another repeated thing um, in these commands is um, verse 23 uh, all your males shall appear before the lord verse 24 they will go up to appear before the Lord. Verse 26, um, you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God the first fruits. And um, there's what's at stake here is can the Lord dwell amongst his people? Can he live in the tabernacle right in the midst of the people? Um, and here we know we're right on track because not only uh, is that relationship healed, but you are going to have a house of the Lord in the midst and you shall all go up and appear before the Lord. So um, it's a real encouragement that everything is back on track and you can have God in your midst despite what's happened. So at those points in our lives when we think, I've blown it with God, is there a way back? Um, There is a way back and it's because of the mediator. He stands at God's right hand pleading his own merit and because of the character of, of the Lord himself. Um, why don't we finish with these most famous words of Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.